This morning, I, I want to ask you a, uh, to think about a question that may seem fairly obvious at first, um, but the question is this, what is the church? Now, before you think that is a really simple uh, question, maybe a, a question that's, that's too easy, uh, there, there, are, there are two groups in the church here today who may not have thought much about it. The first group are those of you who are in church so often, uh, you're like a fish in water, and the fish doesn't think much about the water it swims around in. It just is in the water. That's just how it is. Uh, for others of you who are here today, maybe the church is something that you don't participate in very often. Maybe you're here today, and it's an unusual thing for you to be in church, and church isn't just part of the rhythm of your life, so you don't think much uh, about church. And uh, for those of you who sort of follow along, if you've been out of church for a while, or maybe you've been in and out of some churches looking for a church in our city, you, you know the church in America seems to be having a little bit of an identity crisis today. Uh, every church you go to is different. Uh, they, they look different. They feel different. 50 or 60 years ago, they were pretty much all the same. And today, uh, it could meet in a building like this, or it could meet in a warehouse with no windows. Uh, it might not even have a building at all. Uh, they might have somebody standing up and doing what I do, teaching like this, or it might be a small group meeting in a home in a circle somewhere. They, they could, the, the preacher could stand up and wear a tie and be behind a pulpit, or they could be in jeans and a t-shirt. And uh, so many differences. The music could be led with an organ, and it could be classical music, or it could be led by a rock band with lasers and fog machines. I mean, they're just all kinds of things. If, if whatever you're looking for in a church, you go out, you look long enough, you'll, you'll find a different expression of the church today. The Apostle Paul's favorite description of the church church was that it was the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Now that tells me something important about the church. Now Paul was the world's greatest church planter. It is because of Paul and his ministry sharing the gospel and planting churches throughout the Roman Empire that we're even here today. I mean, he, he really launched the church as a global movement. And, and what it tells me about the church when he called it the body of Christ is he meant that the church should be a manifest representation of Jesus in the world. That, that when people looked at the church, they should see a portrait of what Jesus looked like. That's really what the church uh, was to be, the body of Christ. But, you know, like any great piece of art uh, that has been around for centuries, there are artists that come along behind and try to touch the painting up. Uh, there, are, there, there, there are frauds and uh, there are forgeries and, and there are amateurs who come along and they, over the years, they just, they, they try to clean it up or touch it up or, or, or improve upon it. And so now, like any great art historian or, or person who restores art, you have to be very careful when you go back and you start trying to peel off all the layers of paint on top of the original portrait. You don't want to destroy the original image, but you want to get back to what is that original image of the church? What is that picture of Jesus that Paul was talking about? Fortunately for us, we have a picture of the early church in the book of Acts. And so for the last several months, we've been making our way through the book of Acts, and we just started a series last week about uh, the last third of the book of Acts, the life of Paul, and the global movement of the church around the world. And we have in the book of Acts some pictures of that very first church. If we want to get back and see what did it look like then, we've got it, you've got it in your Bibles today. And so let me just kind of set up where we'll be. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Acts 
chapter 11. We'll be in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, and also a couple pages over in Acts chapter 13. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible today, we'll put these verses on the screen. And if you don't have a printed Bible at home, feel free to take the Bible in front of you as our gift to you. Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13. Now, two weeks ago, when we started this conversation about the Apostle Paul, we talked about his conversion, how he went from being somebody who was opposed to the church to becoming a believer in Jesus, and eventually he would become the world's first and greatest church planter. That's quite a movement. And then last week, uh, Darren brought a message about Paul's backstory. Paul kind of disappeared for about 10 years, and, and Darren preached a message about what was going on with Paul during those 10 years. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, it's a great message. I encourage you to go to our podcast or our live stream and, and listen to it. But today, I want to look at the first church that welcomed Paul in as a leader and that ultimately sent Paul out as a missionary. Now, the reason this is so important is because this church, by doing that literally changed the world. This one church has had an impact that we still feel in the church today. And so I want us to look at this church that, that, that brought Paul in and that, that sent Paul out, and I want us to look at some characteristics of this church and learn what can we do, what can we be to become a church that changes the world. Now, as we said, Paul kind of disappeared for about 10 years, 7 to 10 years. He kind of went off the grid for a while. And during that time, the persecution of the early Christians continued. And as the Christians were being persecuted, they began to spread all around the Roman world. And as they were spreading around the Roman world, it was kind of like a dandelion that you blow. The seeds of the gospel just spread with them. And so everywhere they go, went to all these cities, they were telling people the story of Jesus. And, and churches were beginning to spring up. Well, in the city of Antioch, there was something incredible that happened. Because it wasn't just Jews in Antioch who began to place their faith in Jesus, but Gentiles and Romans, they began to place their faith in Jesus as well. And, and so this church, this dynamic church started in Antioch. And when the apostles back in Jerusalem heard about it, they sent Barnabas to go and help give some leadership to that church. Well, Barnabas gets into the church and quickly realizes, hey, I need a theological heavyweight to come in here and do some teaching. So Barnabas goes and finds Saul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul, and brings him in. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 11. Let's take a look at these passages beginning in verse 19. This is what it says. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. 
So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Acts chapter 13. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I think this passage, this glimpse of this early church, the church at Antioch, gives us at least six characteristics of a church that changes the world. So I want us to look at each of these characteristics together, apply it to our church, but then ultimately to apply it to each of our individual lives as we seek to follow after Jesus. So first, characteristics of a church that changes the world. The first thing we see is that this is an urban church. This is an urban church. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a metropolis. People were living in such tight quarters. People from all over the world were there. It was a cross-section of all kinds of people who had gathered together. And the gospel in the early days flourished in the urban centers. So as the disciples would go into these areas, these places, these urban centers, and they began to share the gospel, it just spread like wildfire. The church really flourished in these cities. It's interesting because today just the opposite is often true. Churches are abandoning the inner cities. They're moving out further into the suburbs. They're they're, they're leaving the inner cities and stretching out further away. But if you read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New, you can find that God has always had a heart for the city. Think about the story of the prophet Jonah. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the biggest city of his day in that region. Jonah didn't want to do that. But God had a heart for the people of the city of Nineveh. Think about the prophet Jeremiah. As he was speaking to, uh, to the children of Israel who had been scattered out, they'd been, they'd been carried into captivity and scattered uh, across Assyria, and, and the prophet Jeremiah said to them, pray for the welfare of your city. God's heart was for the city. And in the New Testament, we see on at least two occasions, Jesus weeping over the city as he is pouring out his heart to the Father For the city. The heart of God was for the city. Now, this may seem like an obvious statement, especially to those of you who live in Jacksonville. This is your home, but Southside Baptist Church is an urban church. We are located in the center of one of the nation's fastest growing cities, one of the nation's most quickly diversifying cities. God has strategically placed us. He did this over 80 years ago when he put this church right here in the center of this community. This is where God has planted us. But here's the truth. You can be geographically located in an urban center, but not have a heart for the city in which God has sent you, and not have a heart for the city in which God has planted you. Southside is located strategically, I think, to be a church that can change the world as it embraces being an urban church rather than resisting it. So the question is, will we embrace Jacksonville? Will we reach the hundreds of new people who will be moving within the shadow of our steeple? Will we reach out to the multitudes of people from all the different nations that God is bringing right here to our doorstep? Just this past Friday, we hosted World Refugee Day. I think we have some pictures we'll show you uh, of that event. Um, And all the nations that were represented as as these folks, some of these folks took the oath of citizenship. Uh, The Korean, our Korean choir sang at that event. And we welcomed people from all around the world right here on our campus. Why? Because we're an urban church. 
This is where God is bringing the nations, and this is why the church in the New Testament flourished, because it embraced its role as an urban church. But there are churches that are abandoning the cities. I've been in Jacksonville for 10 years, and it, by my count, just by the churches I know, there are probably more, by my count, since I've been here, nine churches or Christian organizations have left 32207. Nine. By the end of 2019, a 10th church will have left our community because there is one planning to relocate right now. Now, these churches and these ministries are leaving the urban center just as God is drawing the nations and people are moving back into the city. And a church that wants to change the world is a church that's willing to embrace its role in the urban core of a city. This is why we planted City Church one block away from us. Because we recognize that so many people are moving back into this area, back into downtown, that we have to be active in reaching out to the people that God is bringing here. It's one of the reasons why we planted the Corinne Church, to to reach a group of people who there was no gospel presentation in their heart language. And they're celebrating their sixth anniversary next Sunday and reaching hundreds of people. They're the only Corinne language church in the entire state of Florida. And we're a part of that because it's important if you're going to be a church that changes the world, you've got to be a church that embraces uh, its role as an urban church. The second quality of a church that changes the world is it's a diverse church. And notice what happened after Stephen's death. The disciples began to spread out, but Luke tells us in Acts that they were only sharing the gospel with people who were like them. They were only sharing the gospel with other Jews until, until some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, in verse 20 and 21, some men from Cyprus and Cyrene also spoke to the Hellenists. And a great many of those people began to put their faith in Jesus as well. And so the gospel actually leapt over a racial barrier, a cultural barrier, and began to spread among the Gentiles. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1, what it says. This is another one of those flyover verses because it's got names in it, and so you kind of skip it in your Bible reading, but it's important. Listen to what he says. Acts 13, 1. Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now of those five leaders of the church of Antioch, three continents are represented and four ethnicities are represented. A church that changes the world is a diverse church because they were willing to reach out beyond cultural barriers to make sure the gospel was reaching every person regardless of their skin color, regardless of the language they spoke. Now, now this is really important for us to understand because you understand that while people that look like me are the majority in the room today, we are the minority globally. And if we are going to reach the world and change the world with the gospel, we have to be like those men from Cyprus and Cyrene who share the gospel across cultural and barrier lines, uh, cultural lines and, 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 and racial lines in order to see that the gospel reaches the ends of the world. This is what the early church was doing. A church that changes the world is diverse. A church that changes the world is also a disciple-making church. Look at verse 23 and 24. Barnabas exhorted them all, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And then, in verse 26, for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul Barnabas and Paul met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch. Uh, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, the word Christian, when it was originally used, and it's only used in your Testament twice, by the way. Only two times are followers of Jesus called Christians in the New Testament. Most of the time, followers of Jesus are called disciples. And both times that, that 
they're called Christians, it's actually a derogatory word. The, the people who lived in Antioch started calling them Christians because they were little messiahs. That's basically what that means. They thought they were little Christ going around doing good to all these people. But it's a title that they embraced because they wanted to be associated with Jesus. But why were they called Christians first in Antioch? I think it's because they started looking like Jesus in the city of Antioch. Why did they start looking like Jesus? Because Paul and Barnabas were investing in them. Paul wasn't just making converts. He was making disciples. Sometimes when we think about the Apostle Paul, we we think about Paul maybe doing drive-by evangelism, that, that he went in and shared Jesus with somebody, and then he went on to the next place. The reality is when Paul went into a city, he stayed for months, sometimes years, until he was forced out by violence. He would be driven out of the city by violence and then he'd go share the gospel somewhere else. But while he was in a city, he poured into the people who were in that city. He poured into the church and discipled them. And you see a difference at the church at Antioch. And a church that changes the world has got to be about making disciples. This is one of the reasons in 2018 we've invited you all to join us on what we call the journey to discipleship. And it's just a year-long emphasis on focusing on being a more fully devoted follower of Jesus by spending time in God's word every day, by participating in community, being a part of small groups, by praying, doing all those basic things that help conform us to the image of Jesus. Because we want to be a church not just uh, that gathers on Sunday, but a church that has an impact in families around our city and around the world. And a church that does that has to be a disciple-making church. The next thing that we see, the next characteristics, is that a church is, uh, that changes the world is a praying, spirit-led church. Look at verse 28. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that they would, there would be a great famine all over the world. And then Luke puts in a note there, just so that you know he was historically accurate, This actually took place in the days of Claudius. And we can know from extra-biblical materials that there was a famine that took place at that time. The Bible you read is reliable. You can trust what it says when it says these things happen. It lines up with history that we have from other sources. But, But this is a church that was led by the Spirit. It was a church that was in prayer. In Acts chapter 13, we see that the church was in a posture of worship and prayer and fasting when the Holy Spirit called and told them to set apart Paul and and Barnabas to go on this great missionary church. A a church that changes the world is a church that is focused on prayer and listening to the Spirit. The church at Antioch did not have a long-range planning committee. They, They did not have a program team that was setting up great programs and ministry strategies. What they had was a passion to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit and then a commitment to obey whatever the Holy Spirit told them to do. And I think a church that changes the world has to be committed to that. Uh, Two weeks ago, we had a day of prayer and fasting here at Southside. Uh, There were at least 50 of you who participated in that day of prayer and fasting. And and I don't know what God may have spoken to you in that time. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what he was saying to me in that time. But here's what I do know. I do know that it is seasons like that. It's when a church takes that posture that the Holy Spirit begins to speak to the people who are submitted to him and direct his church to accomplish his mission in the world. A church that changes the world is a church that's praying and a church that's led by the Spirit. The fifth characteristic, a church that changes the world is a generous church. Look at verse 29 and 30. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 
And so what you find here is that, again, as they were led by the Spirit, as they were meeting in prayer, they discovered uh, that there was going to be a famine. Now, I, I don't know how you feel about this because um, it's, it's a little different. If somebody suddenly stands up and says, the Lord has told me, it, it always makes me a little nervous, right? I mean, it, it should make you a little nervous too. I mean, because they're either right or they're crazy. It's, it, there's not a lot of room in between those two things. I mean, it, 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 this guy stood up and said, hey, the Spirit's going. But through prayer and through community, they discerned that, hey, we think this guy's right. And they didn't just spiritualize it and say, we'll pray for those people. They actually put deeds with their words. They began to collect resources. Everybody gave whatever they could. And they sent it back to the church at Jerusalem. Now just think about this. The church started in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where Peter was. It's where Andrew was. It's where, it's where all the disciples were. And here this church in Antioch was sending money back to help them face a famine that was still coming. That's a church that's generous. You know, I'm so grateful to be a part of Southside for many reasons, but one of the reasons is I think this is a characteristic that you, uh, that you exhibit better than maybe any other church I've ever known. Uh, the, the greatest example I have is last year in the fall of 2017 during Hurricane Irma. Uh, with, within hours, within hours, this church was mobilized. These doors were open, taking in hundreds of people, uh, housing other relief organizations that came in, managing cases for months and months. There's still ministry happening because of Hurricane Irma right here. And Southside Baptist Church, you were the center of that because, first of all, you were located in a place where God has strategically placed you to make a difference. But second of all, you're a generous congregation. Uh, you, your, your hospitality poured out, both your time, your treasure, your talents poured out, and it made a difference. And, and it made Jesus famous in our city because we weren't doing it for our own reputations. We weren't doing it for the reputation of our church. We were doing it for the fame of Jesus Christ, that we did this because he called us to love everyone always. You know, if you come to this church and maybe you participate financially in giving an offering, maybe you don't. Uh, but do you know that more than 20% of the money that we bring in, the total money we bring in, more than 20% of the money we bring in goes right back out to other organizations and causes that are making a difference around the world. Organizations that are helping refugees, organizations that are helping orphans, organizations that are planting churches internationally and, and locally. And, and the other 80% sees that ministry happens right here on this campus and right here in, in San Marco. Uh, some of you may be familiar with what we call the Invested Initiative. Uh, there are brochures available if you want to know more, but the Invested Initiative is a way that our church has just said, let's set extra money aside outside of our budget to, to do things like help fund the Florida Baptist Children's Home and the North American Mission Board as they plant churches, to, to support our international partners who are, who are working around the world to, to share the gospel, to, to feed hungry people in, our, in the state of Florida. This church is a generous church, and I think that's one of the key elements for a church that changes the world is generosity. We see it in the church of Antioch as well. And then finally, a church that changes the world is ascending church. Ascending church. Verse 29 and 30 of chapter 11, they sent Barnabas and Saul to Jerusalem to carry the money back to them. But then in Acts 13, verse 2 and 3, listen to what it says. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. 
They sent them off. A church that changes the world is a sending church. Uh, Some of you are tired of hearing this, but you cannot hear it too much. At Southside, we do not measure our success by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. Right. You see, here's what's true. A church can get bigger and bigger and bigger and draw bigger and bigger bigger crowds. That church is not a church that will change the world. The church that will change the world is a church that sends people out of its doors to carry the gospel back into their homes, into their schools, into their workplaces, and around the world. That's a church that changes the world. The church at Antioch that we're talking about today uh, was much smaller than our gathering here today. I mean, it would have probably been a dozen people, maybe a couple dozen people at most. It was a a small group of people. Jesus changed the world through 11 people who were sent by him to go and make disciples of all nations. A church that changes the world is a sending church. It's one of the reasons we value so highly uh, our willingness to send people out, whether that's to be a church planter in our city, somewhere else in the nation, or even globally, whether we send people out as they fulfill their calling that God's placed on their life to serve in various capacities around the world. Many of you know at the end of our service, we frequently bring people down and lay our hands on them and pray for them. And Why do we do that? Because it's what the church at Antioch did. Because it's what ascending church does. We, we don't send them off and forget about them. We're connected to the work that they do, just like Antioch was connected to the work that Paul and Barnabas would do. Now, this would be a great place to end the message, and some of you would be like, oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it's Father's Day, and we get to lunch on time. I promise I'm still going to try to get you lunch on time, but, but it, would be, it would not be a great place to end because that message that I just delivered sounds like an institutional message. That's a message for somebody else to do something about. That's a message that somebody else needs to do something about who's in charge. And I'm not in charge of anything. I just show up to church here. You know, I teach a group. Or I, 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 I sing in the choir. Whatever it is, I do. But here's the reality. You are Southside Baptist Church. You are. Amen. I am Southside Baptist Church. And if Southside is going to be a church that changes our city and that changes our world, you and I have to reflect these same values. We have to reflect them in our lives, and we have to reflect them in our homes. So let me just ask a couple questions. And I I think, do we have a slide with all six of the characteristics? On the back of your bulletin, uh, if you are a note taker, you've already been following along. But for the rest of you, we put these on the back of of your worship guide this morning. Let me just ask you these questions on a personal level, okay? A personal level. First of all, are you willing to embrace the city? Are you willing to embrace the city in which God has planted you? That God has placed us strategically here for a reason. Are you willing to be a part of the work he is calling our church to do in reaching the city? Now, I know for many of you, uh, you do not live in this area of our city. You drive in from other parts. And I'm so glad you do because we need you. Because clearly other churches have moved out of our city. And we need faithful Christians to come back in and help us reach the people of San Marco. But, but I want you to know, if this is where God has called you, then he's called you to make a difference in the core of our city, which I think, I think has the greatest potential to make a difference in our entire city, in our entire region, and ultimately around the world, from the core of the city. Some of you, some of you moved, I'm going to get personal now, all right, so get ready. You can send me the email later. And this doesn't apply to all of you, so I know I, I, you, you can save the email because I know some of you circumstances doesn't allow for it. But, but, but some of you, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you right now. And when he does, I don't want you to get mad at me because that's him telling you this. Some of you 
moved out of the city years ago because you wanted to get your kids in a different school. And you moved out to a different part. Great, that's fine. But your kids are now out of school. And you're an empty nester. And some of you could very easily sell your house in the suburbs and move back into the city. Now that's radical, isn't it? I mean, that's missional. That that you think, well, God's never going to call me on the mission field. What if he just did in what I just challenged you with? What if he just challenged you to say, you know what? Come back in. Move into one of these high-rise uh, one of these high-rise condominiums. Move back into the district as they build that. Buy a house and fix it up in San Mark. Do whatever it is God's calling you to do, but live missionally in your retirement by coming back into the city and helping establish a presence for Jesus Christ right here in the core of our city. If we lose the cities, we will cease to be effective at sharing the gospel globally. I, am, I believe that with every part of my being. Second question. Are you willing to cross social, political, racial barriers, economic barriers to share the gospel with the nations God is bringing into our neighborhoods? Are you willing to cross those barriers? Or are all of your friends just like you? Are they your age? Are they your race? Do they make about the same amount of money you you make? Because see, here's what I know. We as a church will never be a diverse church unless we as individuals begin to diversify the people we're trying to reach. And so let me ask you, when's the last time you had somebody to your house who didn't look like you or whose language, whose native language was not the same as yours? Now I'm stepping on some toes again. But see, this is important. This is what the men from Cyprus and Cyrene did. I am praying that we will be a church full of people from Cyprus and Cyrene who are willing to cross barriers in order to reach people who don't look like us to share the gospel with them. Third question, are you committed to growing in your faith and investing in the spiritual growth of others? Are you committed to growing in your faith and investing in the spiritual growth of other people? Are you, are you in the word? Are, are you praying Are you in community with another group of people who can challenge you and push on you as you're seeking to grow in the image of Jesus? Are you invested in the discipleship of other people, leading a small group, working in our next-gen ministries with our students, with our uh, children, with our preschoolers? Are you part of making other people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Fourth question, are you a person of prayer who's obedient to what the Spirit calls you to do? I'm not asking if you pray before dinner. That's great. I'm not asking if you drift off to sleep praying. That's good. I'm asking, are you a person who is growing in your prayer life day to day to day? And are you obedient to what the Holy Spirit calls you to do? Just this week, um, I was sitting in the morning on my porch uh, before it got blazing hot. And I was sitting there uh, reading my Bible and praying. And out of nowhere, a thought came into my mind. This random thought Um, came into my mind about somebody I needed to send a message to and apologize. And I'm like, maybe I'm just not hearing right. You know, you ever had those moments? Maybe I'm just not, maybe that's just me. Maybe it'll go away. But the more I prayed, the more that thought kept coming back up into my mind. And I had a choice to make right then. I was either going to be a person who was willing to be submissive to what the Holy Spirit was telling me to do in that moment, or I was going to be disobedient was one or the other. My question is, are you willing to be obedient to what the Spirit calls you to do, even if it doesn't make sense to you? Because a church that changes the world is a praying, Spirit-led church filled with praying, Spirit-led people. 
Fifth question, are you generous? Now, honestly, I'm almost ashamed to ask this at this church. Uh, because the minute I say something about generosity, people think, oh, the church budget must not be doing good. And the trustees would love for me to tell you to keep giving your money. But, but here's what I'm asking. Are, are you generous? I don't just mean do you give money. Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your talents? Do you live a lifestyle of generosity as you're out and about in the community? Because generosity is a reflection of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Are you living a generous lifestyle? And finally, last personal question, are you willing to go? Are you willing to be the one to go? If the Holy Spirit says, just like he said, hey, set Paul and Barnabas aside. If the Holy Spirit says, hey, set Sue and Rick aside, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me? And if it's not you that the Holy Spirit is calling, are you willing to take the responsibility of being a church that sends other people, that prays for them, uh, that commits to support them in their ministry? Are, are you ascending? Are you willing to be sent? Or are you willing to send other people? Now, here's what I want to do. I want everybody to take that worship guide, that last page of your worship guide that you filled out, and, um, and I want you to do something. We're all going to do it. I don't see people's hands moving. I'm watching you. I, need to, I should see everybody getting out. Now, get a pen. Everybody get a pen. Come on. This is group participation. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm, pay, I'm, I'm making note of who's not doing this now. I see who you are. All right. Take that bulletin, and I want you to circle the one of those six characteristics that you feel like somewhere inside of you, you know you need to work on. I need to work on this. Maybe it's being a generous person. Maybe it's growing in discipleship, discipling others. Maybe for you, it's being a a prayerful, spirit-led person. Maybe it's being willing to reach across social, racial lines. Maybe it's embracing, whatever it is, I just want you to circle the one, just one, that you feel like is one you need to work on. Okay, everybody doing that? All right, now, now, now here's, here's what I know. If everybody who just did that in our church, if all of you who just did that would actually do what it takes to get better at that one characteristic, our entire church would become a better church for it. It's not going to happen because of some program or some sermon series or some Bible study. Those things are great. We ought to do those things. We will do those things. But when it begins to change the life of a church is when individual people in the church begin to transform their lives to look like Jesus. And then collectively, we look more like Jesus. Now, here's the second assignment I want you to do. This one will be easier. I want you to take and circle the one on there that you feel like we as a church need to do better. Okay? The one that we as a church need to do better. So some of you may not be able to answer that. You're not associated with us enough. But for those of you who know Southside well, which of those six do you feel like, Southside Baptist Church, we need to do this one better? Now, I want you to take on your response card. And at the bottom of the prayer, prayer part, I want you to find a place to write me. And by me, I want you to write the one that you said you want to do better. And by we, I want you to write the, word, the one that you think the church can do better. Now, there are two reasons I'm asking you to do this, okay? Two reasons. One is because I want us to pray for each other. I want us to pray for each other in this effort to try to become a church that reflects Jesus, a church that changes the world. But two 
Your feedback to us as a church will help us know as a congregation, this is what we feel like we need to work on more effectively. So take that communication card, fill that out, and in just a minute, we're going to take up an offering, and I'm going to ask you to place that in the offering plate um, as it comes by. Now, as you're preparing to do that, and before we wrap up, I want to say one other word uh, to a group of you in the church today who are looking for a church, okay? You're looking for a church. Every Sunday, people come. We have guests, and you're looking around. Maybe you're new to the city, uh, and you're looking for a church you want to be a part of. Let, let, me just, let me just ask you, why wouldn't you take this list and make this list your criteria? Because here's, here's what I know is true. Most of us, most of us are looking at superficial things. We're looking at, do we like the music? Do we like the preacher? Do they have the programming our kids like? Now, those are not bad things. I'm not against any of those things. But here's what I know. If you want to be a part of a church that looks like Jesus, if you want to be a part of a church that reflects the earliest picture of Jesus, you need to look for these characteristics in a church. Because you can find a church where you love the music, but none of these six things are true. You can find a church where you love the preaching and the pastor, but none of these six things are true. But I tell you, if you find a church where these six things are true, it will be a church that will make a difference. Not just in the world, but it will be a church that makes a difference in your life as well. So I challenge you. I challenge you to change the way you're thinking about church. Change the way you're evaluating churches and ministries. Because we need to look back at the book of Acts and see what did that original portrait look like as we seek to build a church full of people who are committed to being like Jesus and joining him on his mission to change the world. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray. Those who are collecting our offering, I'll invite you to come forward at this time. If you'll come down and take your places to receive this morning's offering. And, and just, you can take that communication card and place it in the offering plate as it's, plas- as it's passed by you um, in just a few minutes. And uh, when, when it comes by, you can place it in there, and, and we will pray for the prayer requests you have. If you want to speak with somebody, if you, uh, if you are looking for a church home and want to know how to get connected, that's the way that you can uh, connect with us. So please use that to turn in in just a moment. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we pray together. Father, we thank you for, um, for the picture of the church that you give us in the book of Acts. And Lord, we, we're not trying to recreate a church that looks like that in, in the superficial ways. Lord, we recognize that culture dictates and mandates all kinds of changes 2,000 years later. But Lord, in its essence, at its core, to be a church that changes the world, Father, we, we want to be that church. Lord, as individuals, we want to be those kind of people who take seriously that that the call of the church is a call to the individual. A call to the church is a call to the collective saints who are gathered together. So Lord, I just pray for this congregation. Many of them are members here, many of them are not. But Lord, wherever they're from, that they will redouble their commitment to just exhibit these characteristics in their life and in their families as they seek to be a part of your church. And Lord, may Jesus be glorified in your church of all kinds, of all appearances, of all presentations. Lord, may Jesus be glorified uh, around the world through your church as we seek to join you in your mission of making him known. So Father, as we collect this offering, we pray that you'll use it for your glory. We'll use it to build your church both here locally and internationally. 
Father, we pray that, uh, that, that those whom you are calling to take steps of faith, uh, whether that's from committing their life to you, uh, like we saw this morning in baptism, or to someone who's, who's wrestling with a call to the international mission field, and anything in between, God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would move and speak and that you would give us the faith to be obedient. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.